0: Hello everybody, and welcome to another episode of Shakti Waves Radio with your host, Sonia Abramovich, aka Sonia. I will be broadcasting epic dives into greatness, sharing some of the best leaders, entrepreneurs, creative humans that I know, and I personally know, and I get to share their journey and all of their brilliance with you. Today's episode is really special because I have with me Hannah Hitson and she is so remarkable. She is honestly like a character out of a fairy tale walked into your world. I'll give you a little bit of background on Hannah. Hannah is an applied theater artist who believes in joy and the imagination She is a director and actor and the creator of Myth as Medicine Storytelling and Puppetry Workshops. And she's really worked for 33 years in human development through myth, through storytelling, and especially as a student of Rudolf Steiner. And she's a professionally trained theater artist, puppeteer, and storyteller. She tells the best stories. I can't wait for you to hear them. Most recently, she's worked for 13 years teaching myth workshops in Bangkok, Thailand, and China. And she worked for the Canadian Mental Health Association at the Jubilee Hospital in Victoria, teaching drama and puppetry to people with special needs. She's performed puppet shows and written and produced marionette shows for Waldorf schools in Canada and China, the BC government, University of Victoria, Indigenous Child Welfare Research Network, and she lives on Salt Spring Island, the most magical place in the world.
1: Hannah, hello. Hello there, Sonia.
0: Welcome, welcome, <laughs> welcome, welcome. Thank you. I really wanted to bring you here because you, for over 33 years, have been studying, reading, sharing myths. Yes. And I've had the pleasure of hearing you tell me myths and hearing you give analogies to life and my life through myth. And I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about how you even learned or got started with that.
1: Well, As a child, I was always really inspired by mythology, especially with Celtic mythology, because it seemed to me that in the original tales of the Hibernian myths, there was stories of the Tuatha de Dane, and they were the original people, and they were in the land of Eir, Ireland, and they had these powers, these powers to command the waters and the fire and the air and the earth beings. And so they were kind of these human beings with these superpowers so to speak and I wondered about that and then started researching and studying about that and was so moved by that and then I of course like many people I think who get into mythology discover that there's stories like that from every culture in the world and so what are these original stories and what do they have to say about us today in this depth of materialism that we're in now where we don't feel like we have superpowers At least some people, in my experience, I don't feel like I command the wind and the ocean, you know.
0: Wow. Okay. So it came from your own fascination. Mm -hmm. And then how did it spring into myth as medicine, working with people and using myths?
1: Mm. Well, I discovered my own story that I had been locked into a way of thinking that was keeping me small, that I had designed and defined myself in kind of a small way with kind of a tragic story and I'd actually identified with the story of the little match girl when I was a little girl in my workshops I see a lot of people identify with the ugly duckling little match girl different sort of fairy tales anyway one day I found myself looking in into my life from standing outside of it and going my gosh that's just a story I can change that story and so I rewrote my fairy tale of my life my myth It cured me. I actually had a physical illness at the time and it went away and I recovered completely. And then someone who was in charge of designing workshops for Canadian mental health knew that. And she contacted me and said, will you come and do a workshop for people for Canadian mental health? I said, sure. So it became myth as medicine because it's like the art of transforming your story with knowledge about mythology and understanding the archetypes and, and something of the history and then seeing yourself in a new way. I mean, it's been transformative. For example, one woman who was from Ireland, she had this very sad story and her life had been really very wounded by that. She'd just stayed in one place and always been very afraid. She wrote her myth and she wrote to me. She'd moved back to Ireland, which is where she wanted to go. And she had a totally new life and she was having this emergence. And I have that from many people writing to me and telling me that their stories changed their lives.
0: Wow. This is a very popular topic. I'm not sure if you're aware, but the idea of rewriting your story, writing your story, that it is just a story is something that's talked a lot about in new age, personal development, kind of spiritual circles. And I think a lot of the time it's talked about in terms of limiting beliefs or blocks, or especially as a coach, like these are your patterns and they can change. But then you take it to this other level, which is like this mystical mythical way of understanding yourself and your story and choosing a different one. I feel like a lot of the conversation has been really profound, but it's been very much in the secular, like, I am Sonia from Bosnia and from Croatia, and now I'm a life coaching Victoria, for example. Like, it was very practical, the way Mm -hmm. I would rewrite my story, the way I've heard other people talk about theirs. Mm -hmm. Whereas in yours is, from my understanding, is you actually understand your previous life as a myth, and then you choose a new myth. Tell yes. me more about that process.
1: Well, that's why it's called Myth as Medicine. The work in China has been profound because people haven't been allowed to express themselves so much. And they've identified with their family identity, family of origin to a huge extent. And also with material success, material well-being, material thinking and its rigidity. And then they rewrite their myth and create a myth and then perform it in the costume of the character, the heroine or hero in their myth. And my gosh, I mean, just the expanse of their expression and the vision that they're able to hold and the greatness that they're able to embody through coming into that. And so that's the work I do. I help people to see themselves through their own eyes, mythically. I'm a theater artist, so I use drama and storytelling and creative ways and means to and my background in education with world of education things like that to help people to really come into a new way of seeing themselves and when they wear the costume and they perform it for the other group mm. or sometimes i do a puppet show of their life and perform it for them and they get to see themselves differently
0: wow well i had never heard of anyone doing puppetry honestly, in like a serious, moving, loving way. I always thought the puppetry was just for children and that it was usually quite silly and fun stories. And then when I met you, you said you were doing these profound puppet shows for people to understand their whole lives. And you explained what that was like and how moving it can be for someone. Will you tell us more about that?
1: Well, it is. I mean, what I've done is I write a myth with someone who wants to retell their story as a myth. And then, working with their friends or their family and some other artists, we stage and perform their life as a puppet show. And they get to witness and sit and watch it. And there's music and sometimes dance. And they see their life performed as a beautiful puppet show, all with silk puppets and silk. The whole stage is silk. So it's very deeply moving and it's also a window, it opens a window into their soul where they get to see themselves in a new light. But it's very moving and engaging because puppetry especially is important art for our time. Why do
0: you say that? Honestly, I've never considered or thought about puppetry at all I, since I was a child and I just thought it was for children before. So when you say it's very moving for our time, what do you mean by that?
1: Well, Rudolf Steiner says it's a very important artistic medium for our time because of the intense technology. There's so many images coming at us and so much information, information overload. And so our intellects are kind of overloaded. And the silk puppetry is like a way of breathing and opening and expanding. And you just find yourself settling and relaxing. And then you visually are engaged in a sort of poetic, mythical way. And you can really open up to that. And the story is loving. It's, you know, there's, it's a lot of love and acceptance, compassion, empathy. It's not that you've done anything wrong in your life and you have to reshape your life. It's not about that. It's about embracing your whole self. Mm. Wow.
0: Don't you just love the way she talks? It's so incredible. <laughs> I, I could ask you to tell me anything. I would just like listen to you explain it to me. <laughs> Thank you for explaining that because I get what you're saying now when you think about all the reality TV. Like I was saying earlier, we were at lunch is this is the age of TV. I think last year there was over 500 new shows released. It was like peak TV, peak movies. Like there's never been more writers, more people to sharing stories and putting it out there on mediums that are instant. Like, you can get access to it on Netflix, on Amazon Video, you can watch YouTube, and it's just all there. And then and that's just to mention, like, the visual production. And then there's also written stories, and people even tell stories through Instagram and through microblogging, etc. And all these, like, different formats that are quite instant and they're still digital. And what I hear you saying is, a puppet show, you can tell an entire narrative and have characters... But there's actually, well, obviously there's humans involved, but it's not like a play where there's other people. Like there's these symbols and they get to represent you. Yeah. So I really get, I get that. Mm-hmm. I get how that would be, be very magical. helpful. And it's yes. not digital. Like I was like, oh, what about a cartoon? But it's still like in a digital format. So, wow, that's really powerful. I want to see some of these puppets. I've never seen them. <laughs> If you have any questions for Hannah, please send them our way because I will be recording another podcast with every single one of my guests. We record two podcasts like six months to a year after we record the first one. So we can see where are they at now? What are they doing? How have they grown and changed? Because I really want my audience to see how entrepreneurs and leaders are themselves evolving and themselves shifting and that it's never over and it's always kind of keeps going. Mm -hmm. So if I may, what was the myth of your life and what is it now?
1: Well, the myth of my life was based on my father was in residential school and my grandmother was in residential school, Cree in the prairies, and I identified with sort of a brokenness. Mm -hmm. I felt broken. I mean, Leonard Cohen's song about how we're all broken, essentially, you know, the alleluia, you know, that we're all, that's how the light gets in to our brokenness. But in our time, our cultural, familiar, educational, societal paradigm is so based on these outward concepts of achievement and success and in-depth materialism that we've lost sight—I mean, in my experience—of our eternal nature and our higher innocence. And so I had identified with that, but I had blocked that and sort of was in denial about it. You know, I'm not that. I'm—I can achieve. I can be successful. I can just carry on. And so I had this split in my nature: the Métis person, and then the the um, Caucasian colonialist. Because that's what I had. On both sides. I, my grandmother was uh, made moccasins and my grandfather was a Northwest Mounted police officer. So I had colonialism. Anyway, so my new story involved embracing that part of myself that felt broken and seeing that in a way which was my power. So I feel that that's what people, you know, we do all feel wounded. We all feel like our lives haven't been perfect and we've all been challenges. We all have challenges and... When you can glean and see through mythology, I mean, if we look at myth, we see that people are given, like it's always the person that has the suffering who is given this great task. You know, they've made a mistake, they've done something wrong. For example, with Inanna and Erish Kegel, that's a Sumerian myth. Inanna is the queen of heaven and she hears this call to go down into the underworld and the gods in heaven are saying, don't go, don't go. But she hears a call and so she's responding to that. And she goes through the seven gates, and each gate she's stripped bare of her powers, of her light, of her heavenly nature, and all that is all stripped away until she's virtually a, a skin hanging on a peg in the underworld. She's dead. And we feel like that was sometimes in our lives. We feel like we've been stripped of everything and we're barren and lost and in a new kingdom where we don't know our way. And yet it's because she'd made that trek, that journey, that these two beings given by the god of the sea, Enki, he takes from under his fingernail some earth and he creates the bread of life, the water of life. These two little beings go down into the underworld and they support her and help her. And she reclaims another physical body, and she makes the ascension back up to heaven, so to speak, and when she does, she has the powers of both worlds, which she never had before, Mm -hmm. so she's more fully embodied, bodied, fully engaged, more chutzpah, more life, you know, it's like we sing into our bones, we sing into our flesh, we sing into our life, into our breath, and we're so fully embodied that we can then embody our joy and we can love more deeply ourselves and others. Wow.
0: I love we can sing into our bones. It's just you're after the poet and me. I <laughs> <laughs> love talking to you. <laughs> oh, wow. So it's this idea of she went into the underworld and was this skin flesh just kind of hanging there. And then these two beings of the earth came to her rescue. And then she had both. She had both of these experiences. And, Tell me more about that. Tell me more about how you take this suffering and the low points and make them into power and combine them. What's that? Tell me more about that for you and in myths in general.
1: Well, I work with each individual. And so we look at your life and we see, well, what gods were worshipped in your family? And did you resonate with it? Because in some families, the god of family is worshipped. In some family, the god of money is worshipped. and some, it's the god of control. Whatever gods are worshipped and how you resonate with that. And then what in your childhood, you know, work with that in terms of you being able to name, what was the thing that you stood up for? Like, what did you stand up for in your family when you were confronted with whatever gods Mm -hmm. were being worshipped in your family? What did you find that you were standing up for?
0: That's a really good question. I would immediately say that I was standing up for fairness. I would say fairness in service of love, Mm -hmm. but at the time it just kind of came out as fairness
1: yeah yeah fairness so there's something in you that started to engage and resist something and did it take you any places that were challenging by standing up for fairness
0: oh yeah Mm -hmm. constant confrontation
1: yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it's almost like I could never get it Mm -hmm. like
0: fairness was never to be achieved but I would fight for it anyway
1: just getting into
0: it people (laughs) yeah
1: yeah yeah and so there might be some pain there Mm -hmm. yeah and so where there's pain there's this place of where you were doing some resistance against something that you felt how you had to stand up and speak about that Mm -hmm. you know you had to find your voice and in the place where we have our voice unheard when we're not heard often is that place where there's a naming we can do with our mythology we can name that place and where you can find the source of your strength but often it's a place where there's been quite a bit of pain okay so
0: what I'm understanding is that it's that place of pain that thing that you fought for or fought against and in naming it you're able to kind of identify that that's your power is it almost like you're saying that thing that you fight against in that struggle is an indication of your power like what do you mean by naming it
1: well it's like with the Kivas, with the Hopi people, for example, they have these godly clowns or something, if you want to call them, they come in and they do rituals with the people, and then at one point when you can to be a teenager, they show their masks, that are not these gods anymore, they're just humans. And it's devastating for the teenager because they want these gods to be gods. They don't want the world to be all flat with human beings, they want there to be gods among us. Mm. And in a way, when we stand up and resist something, we're saying the world isn't perfect. It's not my innocent place of childhood. I have to stand up and be human. And I see that everyone's wearing masks. A lot of people aren't who they pretend to be. And things aren't all rosy. And you're kind of a burst out of your childhood. Mm-hmm. It's like finding out that Santa Claus is not real. Uh, or maybe Santa Claus is real. Of course, Santa Claus is real. But, but anyway, I... some people think not. But anyway. so And then confronting that place. It's like a fall. It feels like a fall inside. It feels like, oh my gosh, you know, this loss, sense of loss. And so we work with that sense of loss where we've kind of abandoned part of ourselves. often, right? We abandon ourselves when we're in a lot of pain. Sometimes well, I'm not desirable. That part of myself is not acceptable. That part of myself is not lovable. And the society doesn't like that part. I have to wear a mask and be somebody else. And especially if that voice is not heard. Mm-hmm. Sounds like maybe with you, you, I don't know if you had the chutzpah to keep going with that and found your way to always come up with fairness and be heard in fairness.
0: Well, I think I definitely persisted. I'm quite a stubborn person. Like, (laughs) as a child especially, I was, like, very stubborn and kind of, like, very willed and willful. And I think a lot of people that ever went to school with me would have experienced me that way. And now I'm a lot more toned down. Mm. And it's, like, actually in my nature to be really easygoing and very flowing Mm. with whatever's happening. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love conversation so much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm where I'm stuck is I'm wanting to understand like where's the jump from that becoming your power and you name it and then
1: it's Mm -hmm.
0: is it actually that you naming it and calling it out is what's empowering or is there more to it?
1: Well there's much more to it when I work with people with their myths it's there's many layers we see that there's different stages there's this classic fall of the myth where the hero or the heroine goes through innocence where they think it's everything's cool even if it's not just familiar and they have this fall into the underbelly of the whale, like the story of Jonah and the whale, and they fall in and there they have their soul challenges and then they're often meet their allies out of that. So it's out of that out of that confrontation and that loss and grief and the world doesn't look the same. And then they make this climb back up. But in when we're in the belly of the whale, then I help people and we work with that in many different creative ways through drama and they help to use different stories and, and they start to see it's not something that I can tell you what your power is. It's something that people make a discovery. Mm. And so you make the discovery, well, that I thought was my weakness. And for some people, it's not. It's just something they haven't seen before about themselves. So everybody has an own individual myth. and There isn't just one way of saying, well, this is how you're going to find your power. It's about the individual and paying attention and honoring and, and embracing and accepting each individual for their story.
0: Mm okay, I understand what you're speaking to now. Mm -hmm. Because as soon as you said, like, I discovered it's my own personal experience. And this is happening off the cuff. Like, Hannah just started asking me, like, oh, what was the thing you fought against as a child? And now, definitely something that I've always understood to be one of my strengths is that I'm just committed. When I know that something is in integrity with me, I just won't back down from that. You know, some people might describe it as a moral compass, I'm very, very clear about who I am and who I am not and what I will stand for and what I won't. Mm -hmm. And I find it as this like warrior energy within me. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's incredibly difficult because it comes into conflict with what other people might think. Mm -hmm. And so I find it fascinating to actually consider that as a myth or as a symbol to understand myself because otherwise... As much as I see it as my strength, I think in society, it can still kind of be seen depending on other people's stories around it or women being that willful or that outstanding in their, you know, their opinions. I've been called opinionated before. And I don't know that men are called opinionated too often. Mm -hmm. And not that I need to take a big feminist stance on it, but I thought it was interesting Mm -hmm. that I was called opinionated Especially in like previous workplaces when oh. men definitely wouldn't have gotten that label. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: There's that critical place, a place that doesn't seem acceptable to the eyes of your family, to the eyes of the world, to your workplace or whatever. Where you, you have to stand up and do some resistance. And sometimes in our culture, we, here in the West, there's this blaming of the victim. You blame the victim. Oh, you, that's your problem. You, you made, There used to be an expression when I was growing up. Oh, she made her bed. In, she got to lay in it, you know? She's got to lay in that bed. She made it herself. There's a real condemnation of the feminine in that, and very disrespectful. And so working with myth is about aligning yourself with your healthy resistance. I mean, Gandhi was doing resistance to the Indian government, right? And nobody said, oh, you made your bed, you had to lie in it, you know, to Gandhi. And that's (laughs) kind of like... Kind of like what we're doing here in the West, you know, we blame a woman if she's in a difficult situation. We think, oh, well, that's... But really, she's standing up against... She's standing up to something, to patriarchy, to a culture that is deeply, deeply materialistic, where often the finer qualities, the higher innocence, or whatever you want to call that, the higher nature is not acknowledged and respected. You know, we've got all kinds of issues now with you name it. And so often supporting people to see that it's not that they're wrong, it's not that they're bad it's not that they've lost it it's not that they're lost it's that they actually are deeply deeply found and there's voices around them that are naysayers wow
0: <laughs> like what i just heard in that is it's not that they're wrong and it's not that you're wrong like from your experience from your pain your struggle your conflict you know the story arc as it goes mm-hmm. and you are the hero, but you might have the wrong characters in your plot. (laughs) You know, like the people around you might be, you know, you could characterize them as your villains or just as people who might not be your fans. Like you're the hero and you don't have your (laughs) fans yet. Um, And I just think that, (laughs) I just think it's so interesting. Mm. And I think it's actually really interesting to think about it for everybody, for all genders, for all societies, for all cultures. I work a lot with men. I'm very empowered to support men and being big grand leaders that have a lot of heart and a lot of creativity because I find that that's something that they're often, you know, it's not always accepted or predictable that men have like these big, giant, generous hearts, although it is. Like they're also considered like the breadwinners and the providers. Like if that's not having heart and commitment, I don't know what is. So it's like you say the same story turned a little or taken a little bit more extreme has so much more magnitude. Mm -hmm. Like the story of the men being a provider can have so much more impact in the world. Yes. If it's like more empowered and it's not just limited to these constraints of that means you work 40 to 50 hours and you make like $125,000, it's. Or what if you could, you know, like Randy, who was on my first episode, what if you went out and gave money every time you made money?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I used to tell the, the blanket story at, at with an organization where, you know, the, the traditional blanket story is that you have a blanket and you open it up and you have the, who's in the middle, who's in the very center of the blanket. Well, you know, traditional society is that the children were in the center and then the old people and then the women and then the men are on the outside and the men are these profound hearts being of hearts who are supporting because when the children are well and sound and strong then the whole culture and the whole society works really well whereas in our culture it's so strange because we don't have that same picture you know I don't know who's in the middle but anyway and so yes the men if they have a big picture this is our story of our eternal nature the development of humankind and I'm taking this role and my mythical role is you know like Odin this Norse myth figure. He carried the sphere, the sphere of language, human language. How do I use human language to further the highest values and the greatest moral compass that I can embody? If we have this big picture of your mythical self, you can walk in your true nature. As I was saying in our original stories, every culture has stories of these human beings that commanded the ocean and the winds and, you know, the earth. And so we could As you walked, roses, you know, sprout up behind you as you walked. Mm. And in a way, we want to be doing that. We want to fill the world with beautiful thoughts. And if we have a big myth that we can identify with and see ourselves in this beautiful way, then we can carry that more soundly because it's all about the imagination now, isn't it? It's like technology is like interfering with our own pictures. What are your pictures? What are your true pictures? Unadulterated by media, unadulterated by all the technology that's coming at us. What are your own true, true archetype? What's your true images that come from you? And I also work with, help people, we work at night with the dream as well to support that and then finding their own images. Wow, like, well, what I'm hearing
0: in all of this is how much all of it has to do with imagery and visualization and the imagination. Mm -hmm. It's just an interesting kind of play on this big conversation that we keep on having around media and media addiction and phones and always having these like images in front of our eyes, whether they're ads or Instagram photos or Facebook posts or or whatever it might be, Mm -hmm. or, you know, Netflix shows, et cetera. And you're saying that this work is a way for people to just connect to their own original thoughts, original ideas, original visions, mm-hmm. rather than having it be like based in comparison or based in something that's coming at them. It's coming from them. Yes. Wow.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Your myth work, is it like an inherently
1: creative process? Very. Yes. yes. People get to play themselves into their myth.
0: Wow. Uh-huh. That's so cool. So switching gears a little bit, What do you think is the biggest myth happening in society right now? What I mean by that is not a myth that's like going to be myth busted or something. Mm -hmm. But it's actually like, what do you see happening right now? And what myth do you see is parallel to it or represents it?
1: Mm. I remember my son wanted me to see the movie of uh, Tolkien's movie, Lord of the Rings. And that's a myth, of course. And there's that one scene where all the orcs are there gathered for the big battle. It looks overwhelming, it looks terrifying. All these orcs, you know, they're dark and they're kind of grotesque and all of that. And then these other beings, the beings of light come. They don't look very powerful. They're unicorns and fawns and beings with wings. And they do not look powerful at all. And I think in our time, we can feel like we're powerless because there's so much suffering in the earth and so much suffering in the world. But the strange thing is, is that in all the myths, there is something about who you connect to. What do you connect with? What powers do you connect with? What do you identify with? And how can you embrace something that's just full, really full? Like if you just imagine right now the sun, you're carrying the sun right around your heart, and you've got the sun there, and then you're going to speak to people with the sun in your heart. And so there's something about engaging imaginably with something mythically that not just is like a happy thought, but actually really gives you strength in your spirit. Mm. I can stand up to a million orcs by myself. Right. I can do it. You know, I'm really powerful. I'm really strong. And I have the spirit strength to do that.
0: Wow. So I'm hearing like that there's this overwhelming kind of myth or story going on right now of helplessness, especially helplessness in the face of strength or in the face of like, I guess, bravado and power. Power. Yeah, Yeah, the misuse of power. Right. And that something as delicate as like, you know, a, a Pegasus or a winged horse, you know, even like an angel
1: mm-hmm.
0: can have a lot of power in a very different way. Mm-hmm. And what I heard you saying is it's through like embodying their inherent nature, like actually owning what it is that they have. Yes. Because it's almost like you're fighting them with something totally different. Yes. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. yeah. It's different. It's different than what you're you not are... trying to outpower the no, power. No, no. You're coming at it with some sunshine like That's it's right. right and it's not just yeah and I'm hearing that it's not just like a happy go lucky you know be be just kind in the face of it and it'll be fine it's no. actually like owning yeah what you have to give and that is as powerful if not more powerful
1: absolutely absolutely
0: wow that is a fascinating thought that is a fascinating idea and I totally see what you're talking about My next question was going to be, so what's the myth that's happening? And then what's a myth for us to feel empowered with the times for us to, you know, move forward. I'm always talking with my clients. Okay. So that's, this is what's currently happening for you. And where do you want to go? What is your vision for the world? Who do you want to be in the face of all of this that is, Mm -hmm. and that's so often the conversation is this future looking creative conversation and, It sounds like what you said is by actually embodying your own strength, like your inherent strength, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then you get to have power. I always think about, because last year, I don't know if you watched the movie Wonder Woman. Mm. It came out last year. Uh And a lot of people, especially women, were very, very profoundly moved Mm -hmm. by the fact that, of course, Wonder Woman, like she knew how to fight and she had armor and she was still, you know, a warrior goddess Mm -hmm. or an Amazon. But it was her feminine strength. It was her deep, compassionate heart that actually made her the heroine that made her really powerful. It was because of her emotionality and her heartbreak that she literally ran into no man's land getting shot by a bunch of bullets because, like, her own heartbreak couldn't handle it, couldn't stand behind the trenches anymore. Oh. So it was her feminine nature, that more feminine side of her, that emotionality that made her more powerful.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to see that
0: movie. Yeah, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts and your analysis of yeah. it. But my getting yes. my understanding yes. what you're yes, saying. Yes, it's mm-hmm.
1: that. It's standing in that. You know, I'm standing in the source of my true self. I'm standing in the source of my light. And when you work with your myth, when you work mythically, you start to see the world mythically. And you start to see and then things don't have the same impact. Mm. because you're not in reaction to everything you know you're not in reaction you see things as an invitation more. how do I choose to respond to that
0: wow I would want you to say so much more about that it sounds like very empowering like so once you start to see the world through myth which some people like you know you might think oh are you like just focusing on fantasy But really what I'm hearing you say is when you focus on myth and give it like a storytelling and there's characters and there's been a plot twist and what's the lesson and what are the powers of the heroes and the antiheroes, when you actually look at it that way and look at life that way, it gives you this ability to observe and choose.
1: Yes. And in my course, I teach some storytelling skills too. So you know, when you're telling a story, you're confronted with some sadness or some tragedy or some whatever you want to do, and you're in the story and you're telling the story. Well, in every moment, you're choosing, how do I want to bring that story? How do I want to tell it? And in life, it's like that. We're meeting with this ongoing story called life. And as the storyteller, I'm engaging. Well, how do I want to be with that part? of it? If I was going to tell that part of the story, how would I tell it? Would it be with a large gesture? Or So you're enlivened by life. And this is a big story. You know, we're in this big eternal story of human development. Where are we going? People are asking, what does it mean to be human being in this time? You know, what is the true human nature? These big questions. And if you see yourself kind of as a storyteller of your life or your life, and we don't stick with one myth too. Our myth changes as we grow. We want to keep adding new elements to it so it can continue to develop too. And so we don't stay static. And so it's being in the moment, in the essence. Mm.
0: I love that. It's like when you look at your life in this linear, like it's a story way. Like I'm thinking about it. You put it all in as though it's a novel. Mm -hmm. Like and you've written your story, like it's Harry Potter Mm -hmm. and you're one of the characters and there's a Voldemort and et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then what I'm hearing is it's almost like this paradox of it gives you like the ability to actually be engaged and present in the current moment and be more active and able to have more choice Mm -hmm. rather than what I experience and what I work on with my clients a lot is Otherwise, you're just in the story. You're in the same pattern. It's just going to keep going that way. Like, you're just going to meet him again next year, Harry. Like, we know what's going to happen <laughs> until you break the story.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And you're actually on the outside of it and kind of looking at it. Uh huh. That's fascinating. Yeah, because it's about where are we going. I mean, it's like this profound, it's a profound thing to be a human being. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. not to be taken lightly. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So what has been your greatest understanding of your strength?
1: My greatest understanding of my strength has come through my capacity to know and engage. I just feel that in my story, it's about love. It's about being able to love in hugely challenging ways to change my thoughts so that I don't have a narrow, stuck, dead thinking about something. And often it's the opposite, you know, like I challenge myself with having something. I think it's one thing. And then I challenge myself saying, oh, is that what you think? And find that I can think the opposite. And then I keep my heart open. So my power is to keep my heart is love and to be able to see and witness and to be able to think differently, Just keep my thinking open, as open as my heart is. You know, there now there's research about, I heard Greg Braden was talking about the brain in the heart heart thinking and of course a heart math is all about that too but it's about that for me it's really about that being able to come out of those places that go no 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 into a yes 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 I could do it I like that when I'll have something that really pisses me off and bugs me and I can't stand it and then something unexpected will happen I go but I love you you know mm. in an opposite kind of way I can tell you little stories about that but yes yeah, so that's my power. My power is is love. My power is my heart. Wow,
0: that's beautiful. I can sense it. I can feel it. I think I can hear it in your voice. When like You love stories so much. You've obviously studied them your whole life and you've taught them to other people and you can just recite them and tell them again and there's this deep passion in the way that you speak about it. It's almost like you almost share it as though it's in a whisper. like It's this like secret that you're telling to a child or to a lover and it's like, This beautiful, beautiful gift that you give people, and I hear it as your own love, and it's, I see you, and and what I heard you just saying is that you can have this human experience of things annoying you and being around you,
1: and then you see the other person, you see that they're just a person, and you love them. Well, I can give you an example. I had this prejudice against this one magazine, for example, and I thought it was a piece of crap actually you know very trite and unmeaningful and not really worth reading and I was sitting on the ferry and this couple were looking at this magazine and I disapproved of oh I'm not approving of that a bit I didn't think it was fine reading material not worthy of a human being and so I was there and and I was like oh disdainfully you know reading whatever I was reading and then I happened to uh, look over the woman and I and I thought oh that's really sweet and and then I I looked at the people and I saw how sweet they were and how they were inviting me into something totally different that I'd never seen before and they were talking about recipes and this what I would consider to be kind of not very tasteful but I thought oh that's really adorable I love that now because they were so sweet and their sweetness was so engaging that I was like oh can I look at that magazine <laughs> oh I'm gonna write that recipe down there too and you know and totally came over my disdain and end up having a great time with those people on the ferry. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a small example, but it's like those small prejudices we can have with our quick mind, quick, our intellect go, no, no, no. Right. And instead, if you stay in your heart, you can go, oh, maybe, Mm -hmm. oh, yes. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Oh, I love that. I just love your love for people and the fact that you can even kind of see that, like what I hear is part of your myth work and correct me if I'm wrong is the fact that you could just tell us that story that you could see that you were being this way and no, it was too much. And all of a sudden you're very posh and like a superior and prideful. And then all of a sudden you just like tap into your heart and there's cuteness and love and connection there. And then you can actually talk about it from like a third person. Like that's a level of self-awareness and learning that I think is really powerful. And it sounds like it's something that you can access by doing this work.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because in fear we judge and we criticize and, feel small. And in myth, how would you describe the power of myth? Well, the power of myth takes us bigger. And in my course, I teach about many different myths. So you have a language of myth that you can start to use to understand and to see your your biography, but other people's biographies and the development of human consciousness in the world. Wow. A myth language? Yeah, the language of myth. Where I'm thinking and where I'm at right now
0: mm-hmm. as I've spent years studying symbolism, especially behind animals. That's kind of my fascination with metaphors and symbols and in writing. It's always what I kind of latched on to. And I was in English classes, et cetera. And then with myth, I'm like, where would I even start? How would I even start to understand that or do this work on my own or do it to the point where I can embody it and kind of take any situation and see the, right? Yeah. So... Maybe that's the conversation we can have for next time. Is... Yes. Yes, absolutely. So just to finish off here, tell us a little bit about the type of work that you offer and where people can reach out to you and contact you if they want to work on their own myth
1: work. Yes, absolutely. People can contact me. I teach a myth group. People gather themselves and they'll gather 8 to 12, 15 people. And they'll call me in and I'll come and do six weeks of myth with them. I also do myth weekends. And I do one-on-one myth work. And then I also do puppet shows so people can mythologize their life and then do a puppet show with their friends and family. And often that's a lovely thing to do for a birthday celebration or an honoring or something like that. And um, in the myth courses, we do drama and they dress up as their heroine or their heroine, their myth, and perform it for the others. They also learn some storytelling there. People can contact me and that's the work I do. Myth as medicine.
0: Brilliant. Myth is Medicine. So I'm going to give all of Hannah's contact information in the show notes. You can find her. It's Hannah Hitson. I'll give all the information about how you can get a hold of her and her brilliant mind and heart Um, (laughs) so she can bring myth into your world. So my last question is, my tagline is dive into your greatness for, and the four changes, the four is different for all of us. Often it'll be dive into your greatness for for all of us. Dive into mm-hmm. your greatness for fun. Dive into mm-hmm. your greatness for you. So, what is your for? What is your what for to dive into greatness?
1: Mm. Dive into greatness for play imaginatively and to discover your most beautiful evolving true self. Uh. Beautiful. Why not?
0: Why not dive into greatness for play and imagination and diving into your true self? I love it. So brilliant. Thank you so much for being here, Hannah, and for sharing all of your heart and all of your wisdom and your joy and the beauty and the remarkable expansiveness of myth. And I hope people got a lot out of this. I know I did. I just learned a lot about myself, which is the best kind of conversation. So please let us know what you thought. Share it on on my latest Instagram post at Sonia, S-A-N-J-A. We'd love to hear from you. And I hope you have a wonderful day thinking about your stories and how you can be the hero of your very own story. Sat Nam.